Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. Welcome back to the Nourish Circle podcast. Before I tell you about my awesome guest today, I just want to take a moment to say I hope you are doing okay. As I edit this episode, it is April 12th, 2020, and the world looks very different than the day we recorded about two months ago. I know that so many are struggling right now with so much uncertainty. I just want to say I'm thinking of you, and I hold you in my thoughts. Today, I am sharing a wonderful conversation that I had with Heather Kaplan. Heather is a weight-inclusive, non-diet dietitian in the Washington, D.C. area who not only works in the areas of eating disorder awareness, advocacy, and treatment, she is also working to educate and train other dietitians and healthcare providers in weight-inclusive treatment. In 2018, Heather founded WIND, Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics. The WIND movement was created to bring dietitians in all areas of practice together for community, education, and connection. WIND events and resources are centered around supporting inclusive care models and treatment practices and increasing access to respectful care for all. Heather also has a wonderful informative podcast called RD Real Talk, where she is keeping it real with other RDs. In this conversation, Heather and I chat about her podcast, WIND, the building of community and weight-inclusive care, as well as all the divisiveness that has been popping up. I really enjoyed spending time talking with Heather, and I hope you do as well. Enjoy. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm super excited that you're um, joining me today because it's so cool to have a fellow podcaster um, to talk to because I feel like I might be able to learn some things while we chat. <laughs> um, I'm always learning. So before we like to start, um, I'd just like to get guests to kind of announce if there's any privileges or identities that you're comfortable with sharing with um, just before we get started. Yeah, so I have quite a few privileges. I have white privilege, thin privilege. I'm financially secure and have been for as as far as I know my whole life. Um, and I'm cis, I'm hetero, and um, I'm married. So I have a partner who is really supportive. And um, yeah, I think that I think that's all of my privileges. Yeah, I think that's wonderful to kind of just put out there. I also really like the way you included that you have a partner that can support you in your work. I think that's something that when we talk about privilege, we forget having support from many different angles, Um, whether it's a partner or a colleague can really help us do the work that we want to do. Yeah, I think it goes a long way. And I always... I talk to a lot of younger RDs who um, may or may not have a partner, but um, who want to start a business. And I say, like, there are a lot of reasons that I waited. But for me, the timing ended up working out really well that when I did start my business, I had really secure health insurance and life insurance and um, all of the other things that made it a lot easier for me to get started. And I that doesn't mean you can't start without those things. Of course you can, but um, there are challenges that come along with not having that supportive partner. So I think it's a huge privilege in the work that I do. Yeah, I feel the same. It was um, the benefits. I know the benefits in Canada are different from the States, but medical benefits and life insurance, those were all things that I as well wanted to have lined up before I kind of started to tiptoe in to any kind of private practice on my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so my understanding is you're a dietitian and you work from a health at every size and non-diet or weight neutral perspective. And I was just kind of wondering if you could share with the audience a little bit how you either started in that area or moved into that area, um, and any type of moments that were those light bulb moments of, oh, this is the direction I want to go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been a dietitian for almost 11 years and, Had I had this language around health at every size and intuitive eating from the start, it would have vastly changed my career in a really positive way. I think I was really craving that language, but I didn't know that it existed, and I certainly didn't know where to find it, and I wasn't 
privy to any conversations around an alternative approach to the one that I was educated in, which is a weight-centric healthcare paradigm. Mm -hmm. Although when I went through my own education as a college student and Briefly in my postgraduate years, I was struggling with my own relationship with food and identify as having had an eating disorder, though it was undiagnosed, but that's only because I never tried to have anyone <laughs> diagnose it. Um, I didn't recognize what was happening because a lot of my behaviors were so normalized by what I was taught in my education around dietetics. Um, and I think that because of what I was going through at the time, I was interested in dietetics. So I'm not sure I would be here <laughs> if that weren't part of my story. And so, you know, there are things to be really grateful for and I wouldn't go back and change it, but um, it has informed a lot of the work that I've done and a lot of the things that I've become interested in because I think it's really important to dismantle the normalization of those disordered patterns and that internalized fat phobia. And so by the time I was about five years into my career, I was pretty fed up with being a dietitian, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I was pretty ready to just kind of put the whole career path aside and do something else. Um, I had always been a writer and I started getting different certifications. I went through a yoga teacher training. I did a run coaching training and was just trying to figure out what I could do that would have nothing to do with food and weight loss and weight management or any of the above because I just felt a lot of cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Again, didn't have that language at the time, but um, I ended up taking a job at a startup where I was the only dietitian on the team. And that has a lot of challenges. I didn't really have anyone to learn and grow from as a mentor, but it gave me a lot of creative freedom. And within that environment, there was also a lot of interest amongst the team that I worked with in a non-diet weight inclusive space. Although again, we didn't have those words, we didn't have that language, but what we were trying to do was provide an alternative in the content space to a lot of the really weight-centric food fear messages that we were seeing. We wanted fitness content that featured different types of bodies. We posted food content that never talked about how healthy a recipe was and we didn't include any calories, etc. And I got to do that because I had so much autonomy as the only RD on the team and everyone that I was working with was really on board. And that's actually within that environment, um, somewhat indirectly, is how I ended up finding the book Intuitive Eating, the book about health at every size, Christy Harrison's podcast, other podcasts from there, and just really immersed myself in that world as quickly as I could and was like, oh, maybe I don't have to give up my certification. <laughs> I can stick around if this is the world that I would have access to. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I've talked to so many dietitians. I think um, even though our paths aren't always the same, we a lot of us who have moved into the health at every size um, non-diet space um, had that moment of, I'm done. Um, I can't do this anymore. I need to quit. I need a different career, right? It's so interesting. And I think a lot of people do get into nutrition um, because um, they have maybe not the best relationship with food. Is that fair to say? I think it's very fair to say. I think yeah. it's sometimes something that people have a hard time admitting. Mm -hmm. And I recognize there are a lot of different reasons that someone might choose to study dietetics, but in many of the conversations I've had over 11 years, it is something about, well, I'm really interested in food or I did this for myself and I think I can do it for other people. You know, yeah. like if this worked for me, I can teach it. I can yeah. teach it to other people. And when we really peel back the layers for many of us, there is some history of a disordered relationship with food or a current disordered relationship with food, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, so true. Um, that sounds like an amazing startup where you were just given that yeah. <laughs> to really learn and grow, even though um, I'm sure having a mentor would have been helpful, but to get into that space um, really just kind of as a collective sounds really cool. I did have mentors within the group that I worked with. They just weren't dietitians. Oh, yes. So, I, you know, of course, yeah. I had bosses and editors who I learned so much from. And I actually really credit that work experience introducing me to a lot of social justice issues that I hadn't thought about before. Mm -hmm. uh, putting a little asterisk there and going back to all the privileges I named earlier things that I hadn't had to think about before or weren't part of my own lived experience. And I credit 
my time with that group with introducing me to more of a social justice lens when I think about this work. And I, I really hadn't ever considered that before because again, it's not something that I had experienced or ever had to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for many of us who get introduced to health at every size and intuitive eating, there is a social justice interest or those two things are opening the door to a social justice interest. And I think in many ways that's unfortunate because if we hadn't had to think about it before, again, that just points to a lot of privilege in our own lived experiences, but I'm thankful that it's there either way and bringing those conversations into our profession. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting now. I'm about 15 years post um, finishing my internship and I think we didn't have any conversations about social, social justice in my education. And when I think about food now and access and um, availability and the privilege that comes up around eating and bodies, it is very confounding to me that we never had those conversations in my education. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think there's maybe starting a little bit more, um, but I definitely um, do see food and bodies as so much of a social justice issue that um, I kind of just want to talk about it all the time. Now, I yeah. think. I think part of the reason we don't get exposed to those conversations earlier, or at least those of us who have been here 10 years plus didn't get access to those conversations is because of the lack of diversity in our own profession, right? I mean, we look around and we see a lot of the same and there are people doing really incredible work to change that. And I think the interactions that I have had more recently with dietetic interns and nutrition students have kind of blown my mind. They're very aware of the social justice issues. They're very interested. They want to learn more. They think it's an important part of our profession. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of that I hope at least is, I mean, not only the culture that we're living in and the way things have shifted over the last few years, but also shifts, I hope, in our own profession that expose us to different lived experiences, which is so, so important. Yes. I, I think the first time I was heard the word privilege was in my internship. I was doing a rotation and my preceptor at the time said, think about the amount of privilege that you have just getting to this point. You're not getting paid to be here. You can still live and eat and she brought all these things up and I was like wow I I was I did live with so much privilege and I do continually but I hadn't thought of it from that perspective um so it was a dietitian that brought the idea of privilege to me um but it was I think it was my second last rotation before I was finished anyways um and I kind of remember being dumbfounded of wow I've never heard this before (laughs) Right. And didn't have to consider not doing the internship because of financial reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was so interesting to me and just has, it stuck with me for the last 15 years. So um, it was definitely something I needed to hear and learn. Um, One thing that I found interesting in your answer was um, when you talked about wanting to give up dietetics or thinking that maybe this wasn't going to be your career, you said that you um, did some uh, yoga training and uh, running coach training. And I think you still do stuff with both. Um, and so I'm guessing you kind of at that moment took those, but then I've learned how to put them into your kind of haze. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been really interesting over the last year or so to see more conversations in both of those spaces as well about the health at every size type movement. I'm not sure that everyone within those spaces could identify what the acronym HAZE <laughs> means, yeah, yeah. but we're getting there. Um, I did do some run coaching for a couple of years. That was part of what helped me start my business. I started doing it on the side and that kind of carried me into the first couple months of opening my private practice because I had that financial predictability for my run coaching clients. And I've taught yoga on and off for the past couple of years. I'm currently teaching at a studio that is catered entirely to the prenatal and postpartum community, as well as fertility and infertility. And I just teach a class for postpartum moms. So I have an opportunity to really provide a space where they don't have to think about their bodies um, or if they want to think about it, it's not in the sense that they have to change their body or it has to go back to a certain place that it was before. Um, And I've been recently invited to give a presentation to a prenatal teacher training on the concept of health at every size and how that could be incorporated into 
things as big as the studio culture that they work in and kind of helping create that culture of weight inclusivity and providing yoga to all bodies and going all the way down to the micro things like how to cue certain poses and how to talk about the body within the space of a class, which we do, (laughs) you know, like that's part of how we get students through the practice. Um, So I'm really excited about that. That is super cool. I I don't know of anything around to me that does that. I'm also not having children anytime soon again, so I (laughs) don't think I'd be aware. But I do remember going to prenatal due classes when I was pregnant, um, and my oldest is 11, so this would be probably 12 years ago. And um, the way they talked about you do yoga now so that you don't lose your body or so that you can get your body back, and I I never liked those terms. and I can see how hard it is um, post-baby. Um, and so it seems beautiful to have this safe space to, to do yoga and to talk about bodies in a way of your body just being your body and amazing. Yeah. Cool. And it's, I mean, really, when you think about if, if someone listening has a deeper understanding of the concepts of yoga, it is completely at odds with a weight-centric approach. Yeah. I mean, there could not be two more opposite things, but because of the way that we've appropriated yoga in this culture, mm-hmm. it has turned into a very different practice, right? So people think about it really differently. And I think um, I probably only got invited to give that presentation because the woman giving the training is my prenatal yoga teacher. So so she's aware of what I'm doing. You know, that didn't totally come out of nowhere, but I Mm -hmm. was really excited when she reached out because she said, this is something I'm still learning about, but I can see where it's so important to this community. And I think a lot of the teachers who will be going through this training have probably never thought about it before. So yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited for you. Um, I'm also wondering about the running community. Um, People talk a lot about runner's body and the way the body's supposed to look, and you'll go faster if you, you know, change your body weight. And so I'm just wondering how you fit your um, health at every size paradigm into that kind of work. Right. When I was coaching, I was I identified as a weight inclusive running coach, which to many people didn't mean much because they'd never heard that before. And maybe you would ask me what it meant, but maybe it didn't apply to their needs. Um, But then for other people, it was really important to see that because they had been body shamed by prior coaches and running groups and meant, meant to believe that they weren't allowed to identify as a runner, which is heartbreaking and really shameful. So that was part of what I did as my, as a coach myself. And I never made comments about, well, you know, if you just cut back on this a little bit, you would be faster. I mean, I can't even imagine saying something like that. Um, I wouldn't have said that prior to having access to this information, but I definitely (laughs) wasn't about to make anyone believe that it was about their body. I think that over the years I've evolved in my own relationship with running. It's always been a relatively, I'm putting air quotes around like a healthy relationship with running for me. It's always been about just like what, what is fun about this? How does it add to my community? You know, what are the things I get out of it versus like, how does this change my body? It's never been about that for me, thankfully, but I can really only say that because I came into running as an adult. So, um, and my experience with sport before that was with soccer and soccer, I think in some ways is protected from some of the body shaming because it's not an aesthetic based sport for the most part. Yeah. Whereas running definitely is. And we look at elite runners and runners in the higher echelons of competition and we see one body type. Yes. And even though many people, if not all the people that I've worked with over the course of these 10 and 11 years have been what I call recreational runners. And I still call them my athletes. I'm like, you're my athlete. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think you're an athlete. Um, they're recreational. They have full-time jobs or they are stay-at-home moms or a mix of both. And um, running is not providing their livelihood, basically. It's not part of their job. It's something they do for fun. And so even though that's the level that I'm working within, you might be shocked to know that there's still a ton of fat phobia and weight stigma within that community. Um, And there's a lot of language in every running publication about how to lose weight and how to cut back on this and cut back on that and find your race weight and get faster by doing this. And it's really just so disheartening because they're 
is yet to be a publication that I have found that promotes a body inclusive approach to running. They might share content from more body diverse runners. So they might share content from ultra marathoners who look like not how you would picture an ultra marathoner um, and elite runners who claim to be promoting body positivity. But then you'll find in the related articles how to lose weight as a runner or how to cut back on this as a runner, you know, like they just don't get it. And it's really, it's really kind of disappointing. I mean, it is disappointing, but we're just not in that space within the running community yet. So I use my voice as much as I can. And in my private practice, my primary clientele is people who run and who are interested in intuitive eating or a non-diet approach, or maybe they come to me and they might not be interested in that yet, but that's what they're getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're getting there, right? Yeah. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. Well, it. It's interesting. I took up running um, maybe about six or seven years ago, and it's totally recreational, just super. I like to be by myself, and I don't talk while I run, and I talk all the time. Um, and so it was interesting. The first time I remember doing like um, a race and just standing in the crawls listening to people talk, and so oh, yeah. many people talking about their bodies before we started, mm-hmm. I, I was like my mind exploded because it was just something I'd always done on my own. I don't have a, like a group that I run with or anything. It was just, it made me feel good um, psychologically to do it. And I, I was just kind of taken aback because I hadn't really stepped into the culture, I guess, of running. Um, and it really opened my eyes to the way a lot of people talk about bodies. Like they were commenting on bodies around them and mm-hmm. predicting speeds. And it was, I found oh, it gosh. very disheartening. Oh. Uh, I was at a race earlier this year with um, a group of moms that I run with and work out with. And as we were in the, st- the corrals and the race was about to start, the race director was making his announcement and, you know, thanks for being out here. What a beautiful day, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, and just so we remember the cost of air quotes, obesity is blah, blah, blah dollars. And you're doing your part. And I was like, what is happening right now? (laughs) Like, no, my goodness. It was horrible. I was disgusted. And I'm looking around. And I mean, the really, really sad thing to me is that that doesn't register as an inappropriate thing to say to anyone around me. You know, I'm looking around like, what, what is he saying? Like, what's happening right now? And no, everyone else is just like, "Mm, status quo. You know, this is very normal. And I mean, it really just blew my mind and made me so sad. Because I'm like, there are plenty of runners in this starting corral whose lived experience you're speaking to right now who probably feel harmed by this message and you don't care. And you're not acknowledging it you know? And it just made me so sad because I'm like, it really, you can't go anywhere without being thrust into that message and made to feel bad about the body that you're living in. Yes. When it is right, you're just at a a race and that is just random comment that comes out. Oh my goodness. It was a beautiful day and everyone was there to have fun. I'm like, what are you doing? What's happening? I just felt my stomach drop when you said that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, Wow, I'm a little thrown off. I'm <laughs> Sorry, it's everywhere. No, no, it it's is, everywhere. It, and that's the thing. I think yeah. um, I get sometimes where I feel like I sit in my bubble too long, where I talk to like-minded individuals, or I kind of like my social media feeds get so that I I'm not seeing a lot of that. That mm-hmm. when you step out into what I guess really is the real world, um, and just for a nonchalant comment, like a comment, not nonchalant, but a comment to come out so nonchalantly, um, like that, it, it just hits me that much harder, I think, because, um, you, you sometimes kind of just forget that that is the general conversation. Right. It's really unfortunate. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your private practice and working with athletes and intuitive eating. Um, I believe that you do sports nutrition and intuitive eating online as well. Yeah. I have an online course with Kelly Jones called Fit Fueling, and it is entirely focused on bringing a non-diet approach to sports nutrition for mostly recreational runners, but we do have a variety of athletes who have joined us. We've had professional figure skater in our group. Wow. Um, We've had bodybuilders, we've had rowers, we've had cyclists, triathletes, like everything that you can think of in terms of kind of adult recreational and um, semi-competitive, semi-elite sports. Um, And we, 
I mean, it's for everyone. It's for all of the above. And we have just tried to create a really safe space where people can come to learn about sports nutrition without feeling like they're getting rules shoved at them and without feeling like they're getting a weight-centric message along with it, which is the norm in most cases. So we talk about what we call some of the core concepts of intuitive eating, and we integrate them with sports nutrition, which we always say these are sports nutrition guidelines. We're not trying to ignore the evidence that we have within the sports nutrition world about best practices for fueling and recovery and taking care of your body, but they're guidelines and they're not meant to be absorbed as a rule or as something that has to apply to everyone exactly. You know, there can be a lot of numbers within sports nutrition, a lot of how many calories to have per hour and how many calories to have per day and how often to be eating or not eating (laughs) and, you know, don't, don't gain weight and make sure you're staying at your ideal body weight, et cetera. So all of that is removed (laughs) and we work with people to be a lot more flexible about how they're eating. And that's the approach I take in my private practice as well. I always tell my clients, my two goals for you are to meet your goals and to prioritize what's important to you, but also to provide a way that you can find flexible, intuitive eating for yourself and a way to incorporate these concepts and principles into your life that makes sense for you. Wow. That's great. And it's cool the way you mentioned you have like bodybuilders and figure skaters, just the whole gamut of athletics. Mm -hmm. Um, And some um, sports are more, um, body focus than other sports. And then there's the sports where you have to cut weight. And so it sounds like you have a really great mix in there and have figured out how to put intuitive eating into the whole thing. Right. And we have a lot of conversations about weight. (laughs) It's a question that comes up really often. And um, it's certainly a topic that comes up with each new group and with each new participant even. Um, And it's something I talk to my clients a lot about. So it's certainly not off the table to have that conversation, but I make my approach pretty clear and I practice from a stance where I feel like it's really important to have informed consent. And if they decide that what I can bring to them is not what they want, then that's completely fine. But I have yet to have someone who's like, this is crazy. (laughs) I'm going to go find someone else. Um, I have had really unique circumstances in which it doesn't work for that person at the time. Like one that comes to mind is um, I had a potential client reach out because they are a participant in the United States military and are up against a weight regulation. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, it's really um, depressing to think about, but they're they were basically at risk for discharge if they didn't meet a certain weight. Um, And I said, you know, I really, really empathize with what you're up against, but I can't promise an outcome. I just can't. And this person had a weight cycle before, so they knew entirely what they were up against and they wanted to approach their nutrition and lifestyle from an intuitive eating standpoint, but felt like they couldn't because of what, was being presented to them, like the option or lack of option that was being presented to them. And it really, I mean, again, it's just so heartbreaking to think about like, that's where we leave people, you know? Um, And I said like, here's everything I can offer and I'll do my best to meet you in the middle, but I just, I cannot promise an outcome. And I can't say this is exactly where we'll be in this many weeks because who am I to say what your body is going to do? I have no idea. Um, And ethically, I just can't engage in that practice. So I completely understand you have to go work with someone else if that's your choice. But I, you know, this is Mm -hmm. one of your options and it just may not be the right option for you right now. That sounds like such a great way to um, lay it out because it's true. We can't predict what anybody will do with any um, anything. And um, I often say I can't download you to a computer and say that this is what's going to happen in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I think sometimes when people look at those of us that kind of work in this uh, non-diet weight neutral space that we don't talk about weight ever. But right. it's true. We talk about weight a lot. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just not in the ways that I think the general population thinks we talk about or should right. be. Yeah. Right. I think that's a really great point you made. Um, so you do all this work with um, your online course and your private practice clients and you, you teach in yoga classes. And on top of all that, you also host a really great podcast because <laughs> you have, sounds like, I don't know, 
in lots of time, but not lots of time. You're just busy. Yeah. Um, it's called RD Real Talk, and it's a really cool concept. So I was wondering if you could um, give us a little bit idea of um, how you came up with just you know keeping it real with dietitians. Um, I think it's kind of in your intro tagline, yeah. um, and yeah. like the evolution of the podcast. Because if you go back, like, and I think all podcasts have an evolution. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of curious as to how you came up with it and and the process. And you've done some really great series, like you did a Hayes Principle series, and you've done an Intuitive Eating Principle series, and um, I'm just really interested in all of that. Yeah, well, thanks so much. It's always fun to talk about how the show has evolved and to have the space to explore that because on my own show, it's just kind of like episode by episode. We're just getting <laughs> chugging yeah. along, you know. Um, so the concept actually, um, the time of my, when I was working at the startup, I started doing a weekly article on our website about real talk around nutrition news because I was getting really, I, again, that's around the time I was coming into this language of intuitive eating and a non-diet approach. And I was pretty fed up with the idea of a weight-centric paradigm in general. So I was kind of just rebelling <laughs> against yeah. it as often as I could. Yeah. And uh, one of the ways I did that was to start a weekly series where we posted um, a couple of things that came out in the news that week and kind of debunked the message or looked at the way that a study was represented in the media and were like, hey, real talk, like they're not taking the right points away from the study. Yeah. They're probably reprinting a press release. So like I don't necessarily fault the publications. I know a lot of publications just reprint what they're sent. Um, yeah. So it's kind of more of like the, the publicist or the PR company. But I'm like, well, if you actually look at the study, here's what we see. And if you look at the sensational news headline, here's what you'll see. So let's compare those things. Yeah. Um, so we did that for a while when the website was still up and it was really fun. And that kind of turned into a different version of my blog as I went through an evolution on like my private practice on the side. And then when I started my official business, that was like a no-brainer, RD Real Talk. That's, <laughs> that's the name of the show. Um, so in the initial interviews with my dietitian friends, you will hear us talk about things that happened in the news. And that was the first version of the show, the first format. Um, and over the three years that it's been out, almost exactly three years, we have definitely changed that quite a bit. We sometimes talk about what's in the news, but um, more often we are really honing in on nuanced conversations around the non-diet weight-inclusive approach and covering all the things that we didn't learn about in school, or at least I didn't learn about. I can't speak to what's being taught now <laughs> in different programs. Um, but I try to open up those conversations to talk to practitioners who are maybe thought leaders in a certain space of dietetics, um, practitioners who have taken a hard stance against something that I think is really interesting and could engage different different practitioners and consumers and clients. Um, and I have also used it as a way to network. <laughs> so it's been a really great way for me to not feel so isolated in the world of private practice, especially for someone who has a virtual practice. It can feel like I'm just kind of always on my own and thinking about things on my own. I have started working with a marketing coach who is also a dietitian and I have a supervisor. I do peer supervision with a dietitian. So there are ways that I've incorporated my peers um, into my business so that I can learn and grow as a practitioner. But when I first started, the podcast was just a really fun way to get to have conversations with people whose work I had followed for a long time or whose um, friendship had been part of my RD world for a long time and yeah. just record the conversation. Oh, it's super cool because I, I love the concept of the real talk. I didn't realize it came from um, like the, the news that you had done before you started recording. Like I yeah. heard the beginning episodes with the, the talking about kind of news and how it's evolved, but I love how you highlight um, RD's voices and maybe not the ones that you hear about so much on everybody else's podcasts or, you know, yeah. the people with the book. I think it's wonderful to just find those people that, you know, have done something really cool or taken a really strong stance and really highlighting those voices. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it's, and I always find I learn something um, from them. So it's really great in that way. Yeah. Um, and not only do you highlight dietitians' voices on your podcast, um, you've also branched out further 
um, into your wind events, um, which are really cool. And I have yet to make it to one and I'm super jealous every time I see all the social media photos. I'm not <laughs> why. Um, so I was wondering if you could explain to us what wind is, um, how you came up with the concept and all the wonderful details so that people can look into it and find out more about it. Yeah. So I think, uh, wind is definitely, part of the RD Real Talk evolution in that it came to me as something that filled a void that I was feeling. So with the podcast, again, it was a great way for me to have conversations about things I was interested in. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> selfish, but um, things I was interested in with people whose work fascinated me or taught me something new and just creating a space to explore those topics. And wind is pretty much the same thing. I have noticed over the last couple of years that these topics around weight-inclusive nutrition and health at every size and intuitive eating or non or anti-diet approach to nutrition are not well represented at our major conferences. Mm -hmm. You might get one or two sessions out of you know 20 to 50, depending on which conference you're going to, um, or you might get an hour out of an eight-hour day. And that's fine. I know there are lots of different topics for us to explore in those major general conferences. Um, but to me, it felt like if I want to learn more about this stuff, I know I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people asking about which sessions at which conferences are people going to and where are these topics and these ideas represented and how can we support those sessions, which is all wonderful. And I'm totally here for it. And it's one of the only reasons I went to Fency last year because I typically don't go to Fency, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which is our national conference in the States. Um, and I thought, if we don't have great representation at other conferences quite yet, then why not have our own event? And why not create our own space for having these conversations and learning more about these topics? So with each wind event that we've done, we're coming up on our third, although it will have happened, I'm sure, by the time this goes live, because it's really soon. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> um, yeah, no question. So by the time, as I plan the events, I try to think about what are some of the most common questions that people ask when it comes to a weight inclusive approach? What are some of the things we get a little bit hung up on? And what am I curious about? You know, what questions have come up for me recently or what seems to be um, something that I feel like I can't quite articulate and who is someone that I could learn from? So I try to, again, it's just a space for me to get to reach out to people whose work I admire, whose work I followed, whose work I know I'm learning from, and to give them a platform and a space to bring that to more people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wonderful because it really helps to build a sense of community when yeah. we, we get to actually meet in person. Um, I find um, where I'm located I, you know, there's a few people around and then for me to travel, almost every conference I have to go to is international um, and, you know, getting to the States and it, not that it's far, it's just plane rides and hotels and, right. um, and being able to build that sense of community is so important and so nourishing for lack of a better word for me. Um, have you heard feedback from people who participated in your live events before about that? Yes. So we sent out a survey after every event and Part of the reason that I wanted it to be in person when I even started conceptualizing what this would look like is that, I, one, I don't ever actually fulfill my online training. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being really honest, yeah. I'm like, I purchase them, they sit there, I listen to three or four webinars, and it takes me sometimes months, if not a year or two, to actually get through the rest of them. Yeah. Um, and it lingers as this like, tedious to do task, even though it's something I want to do and a topic I'm interested in, I just don't follow through very often. So oh, until I'm like up against my CE deadline, I'm like, dang it, I got to finish those webinars. Um, so that was one reason <laughs> I didn't, I wanted to create a resource that people would actually get value from right away. And we do offer virtual options yes, because yeah. I recognize all of the things that you listed um, are reasons that people may not be able to join us in person. And we've had pretty small events on the grand scale of conferences because I don't, I'm still learning. <laughs> I don't want to say I don't know what I'm doing because I'm going to give myself some credit, but it's a lot to put on an event even for 30 people. Yeah. So um, yeah, we do offer the virtual option, but to me, it was very important that it was in person. One, again, so that people really got the most out of it right away. And two, 
to build that sense of community, to be in the room together. I spend so much time behind a computer screen or typing away on my smartphone, and I really was lacking in that community. And I have some dietitians in the DC area that I meet with pretty regularly every, almost every month, if not every other month to talk about these things. And we've built our own, we've built our own little community around that. But I knew that there were so many more people craving this. And like you said, people working in really isolated environments where they might be the only dietitian at their job or the only dietitian in their city or town that they know that identifies as weight inclusive. And that feels really hard and isolating. So um, when we do send out those surveys after the events, the no question, the most common response when people answer, why did you come to this event or why did you want to come to this event is to be in the room with like-minded practitioners, to connect with fellow WindRDs, to meet people whose work I followed. You know, like we have spent so much time over the past probably 10 to 15 years engaging and connecting online Mm -hmm. that I feel like we're kind of on the pendulum and swinging in the opposite direction and just wanting more and more and more in-person connections because they're really crucial to feeling engaged, but also feeling supported in the work that we're doing. Yes, I 100% agree. It's interesting because I, I give the internet so much credit for allowing us to reach all corners of the universe and connect with like-minded individuals, but there, it's just, such a different feeling when you sit in the space with people and have those conversations that you don't really have when you're typing it into your phone and sending a message or liking a, an Instagram post, right? You just, yeah. those organic, beautiful conversations that happen, maybe not even in the space of the, the conference, but when everyone goes and grabs dinner together after, or mm-hmm. right, just that whole, that whole community sense is just so beautiful. And I'm really thankful that you're attempting to grow that, that sense of community, because I think we need it, especially as um, dietetics can be somewhat divided right. in, in this space. And I think it's good to know, um, the thoughts and ideas and how other people have maneuvered in that space. Yeah, I was starting to realize, you know, not only are these concepts not as well represented at some of the bigger conferences, but they going to those conferences and being the one that wants the one session on intuitive eating or health at every size and wants to learn more can feel isolating in and of itself. Just being at the conference and looking around like, okay, where are my people? Not that we can't find a lot of common ground and connect with fellow practitioners in lots of other ways. And I, I do that as well. But I, I felt for myself and have heard this echoed in all of our survey comments and people who have reached out who have been to the events. Like, It felt incredible to be in a room where I looked around and knew that I was supported by everyone in this room and I wasn't going to have to get into like this really discouraging, divisive conversation about these topics. Like it was just one day where we could learn about these concepts and feel safe asking questions and feel safe with each other in the room and feel supported by each other. And that unfortunately is kind of rare at the moment. Yes, I 100% agree. (laughs) You have the question and it's, you sit there and then you half raise your hand and you half put it down and and then you're like, maybe I'll ask someone that I know that's not here to help me work this out because I just, I don't feel safe to do it right now. Um, Yeah, I think it's so wonderful um, to be able to do that. And I think it was at your conference, you also brought up a bunch of um, dietitians who do podcasts. Yeah. Right at the end of your, yes. And then you, that was an episode on your um, podcast as well, but just talking about all the, you know, building community that way. But I think everyone almost resonated with the building community in person, like how great it was to sit up there, all the podcasters who I think have all been on each other's shows, but to also right. just <laughs> sit together in a space and talk. Yeah, we did that at the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo, otherwise known as Fancy. Yeah. We did a podcast panel event, which is an idea I actually got from a running podcast that I listened to. Um, The host of that show had done a couple of live events, and we do a recording of the show at all of the wind events as a fun way to kind of wrap up the day and answer questions and engage everyone in a conversation. But um, when I started preparing for Fancy, and I was like, okay, if I'm going to (laughs) go, I'm going to make it well worth my time because to me, going to Fancy is a huge investment emotionally and financially. So um, 
I just decided like, let's try out a podcast panel and bring all these podcasters together because yeah, we have all had conversations, but on opposite sides of computer screens and never together in the same room. Yeah. No, I thought that was super cool. And yeah, I, I apologize for not realizing it was fancy because I have heard oh, the other okay. ones where you've done. From yeah, we, I've done a few. Yeah. And that's also been really fun. Like, again, the podcast has so many benefits and there's so many reasons that it's fulfilling to me and that I love doing it. But at the end of the day, like I'm behind the screen with a microphone by myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and so doing the recordings at wind events and then doing the fancy panel has been so fun. Cause I'm like, Oh, you're listening. Like I can see yeah. you now, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I know through Instagram and the connections that we are able to form online. I do know a lot of my, well, not even a lot of, but I guess a small fraction of my community and my audience, but I don't ever get to see them. You know, mm-hmm. it can feel like a really lonely and kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like there's no lack or there's no real direct engagement or feedback that you get, or at least not very often, you know, there's the rare person who will send an email and maybe you get a review every once in a while. I, I do have an active survey at the moment to try to better understand like what my community is searching for. But for the most part, it's kind of a thankless job. It's so Uh, true. In terms of like outside, you know, validation and feedback. Personally, there's a lot of um, gratitude I have for what I'm able to do through the podcast, but yeah, mm-hmm. it was just fun to, you know, feel like I actually got to engage with my community directly and vice versa. Like we got to have a real conversation. Yeah. It, it's funny that you say that. Um, my kids are big Star Wars fans and I say that this, when I do podcasts and stuff, I feel like I live in hyperspace. So it's mm-hmm. that, that between two locations where you're just kind of in the stars by yourself. Right. Um, yeah. Right. I, I'm always like, I feel like we're just in hyperspace all the time. Um, I <laughs> just time. throw something out there and I have no idea where it lands. And, you know, once every six months, someone will shoot me an email. But other than that, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's so great. And I'm always just amazed at seeing people in real life. Like it, I've always gotten to that point where I'm like, oh, you're real. Yeah. You're an actual human. Yes. I know everybody's real. And it's funny because I recognize the voices of so many people. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, oh, that's how tall you are. I don't know why I, I always, cause you'll, you see headshots, but it's just a weird disconnect for me. It so, is. Yeah, no, you're right. So thank you for pulling so many of us out of hyperspace. It's, I'm <laughs> very appreciative of that. That'll be um, a new tagline on my business card. <laughs> pulling people out of hyperspace. hyperspace. There you go. <laughs> um, and you just do, you've just done so much and you have another um, wind event coming up very shortly, like you mentioned. And then for the long term. Um, I'm guessing this will keep going around everything else. Yeah. So it's going to, there'll probably be some shifts in 2020 as I literally announced today. (laughs) I'm expecting another kiddo. So we'll have two kids. Um, Definitely. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Definitely taking a little more time off with this one. And I'm trying to implement lessons learned from the first round Mm -hmm. into this maternity leave and giving myself a little more space and a little more grace as I ease back in. So I think that will affect what I'm able to do in the fall through wind. But I'm also hoping that um, part of the team that I've built that has helped me put on these events and people who have expressed interest will kind of help me keep it going. Um, I certainly don't do any of it on my own. So um, I do hope that we'll have another event in 2020 and the plan is for that to be in the fall as we did last year. We did a uh, kind of winter and fall event. And in the meantime, we're doing lots of stuff online, which I know goes against everything I just said. (laughs) No, Um, it's more accessible for me in this season. So we're doing some monthly uh, case study reviews to provide basically peer supervision from a weight inclusive lens and focus on different topics. And we have the wind community on Facebook. And then um, my plan in the following year, when I have a little bit more brain space is actually to do more events, but on a smaller scale. Um, And then maybe one big event that's like more than one day, which is what we've done so far. So hoping all of that comes together gradually and trying to remind myself it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. No. And um, I'm always amazed um, when I talk to American colleagues just about the limited maternity leave uh, (sighs) that you guys get in comparison to us. We are 
12 to 18 months. I know. It's yeah, incredible. I just, I, I always feel. We're, we're 12 weeks if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I can't, honestly, I couldn't even imagine. Um, I, yeah. I don't even think I had woken up at 12 weeks <laughs> yet from the, the haze. I, uh, I always felt like I was in mist. Um, trying to maneuver that time period. Um, two is, I, I have two, and I remember when the second one was born, I was like, oh, I'm so prepared this time. And then like, oh, you are a totally separate child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's totally different having two kids. I mean, even yeah. being pregnant this time around with a toddler is like, well, this is wildly different than the experience I had yes. last time. <laughs> yes, um, I remember my, my daughter was three when my son was born, and her being, she stopped eating meatballs the whole time. And then all of a sudden she thought that I had swallowed a meatball and that's how I got the baby in my tummy because we told her about it um, after having spaghetti and meatballs for dinner. And, and then her just thinking, calling him the meatball for the long, this meatball for the longest time. And um, just even kind of maneuvering all those things while it was happening. I was like, I'm so confused. Um, so amazing. It's, yes. it's like so incredible to watch how their brains work and like just be witness to them too in the world. I know. I, I almost wish as an adult you had, you were able to just take chunks of time and be like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd learned so much, just that yeah. innocence and everything, but I'm totally going off track now. And if I'm talking about meatballs, I must be getting hungry. So, um, <laughs> and you probably are too. It's around lunchtime. Um, so just to kind of wrap up, I like to finish with the question of what's nourishing you right now? Oh, I think just to echo what we talked about more recently is the community that I'm part of is definitely nourishing me at the moment. I feel really supported. I feel excited by who I'm meeting and um, who I'm getting to talk to and what people are doing in our fields. Um, it's just really incredible and exciting and inspiring. And I find that, you know, at the end of the day, when I feel kind of fatigued by work and parenting <laughs> and pregnancy, um, that's kind of what my brain turns back to. I mean, outside of obviously family and other things like that. But um, when it comes down to my work life, I think the community itself that I feel really lucky to be engaged with is very nourishing at the moment. Mm -hmm. I do say that I feel so fortunate to live in this time when I get to meet such cool, amazing, badass dietitians. So thank you for being one of those. Oh, thanks. Um, and if, um, people are listening and want to know where to find you, um, where can they find you on the internet? I am at RD Real Talk on Instagram, and that's probably where I spend most of my time. I also am at Heather DCRD on Twitter, where you will find me being a little more sassy and direct. <laughs> um, and our website for wind is weightinclusivenutrition.com. And that's where you'll find updates on events, how to get into our Facebook community. And um, that's also where the podcast show notes live. So there's also info about RD Real Talk on there. Awesome. I don't think I realized you had a Facebook community. I must have. Yeah. It. Yeah. Get in there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I'm so appreciative of all the work that you do, which is tons. Um, and best of luck with the rest of your pregnancy and new baby. Thanks so much, Lori. It was great to chat. Great to chat. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Thank you.